and welcome back to another episode of Going Through the Motions with me, Callum. And me, Alex. How's it going, guys? The podcasting equivalent of shampooing your eyes. And not that sort of, you know, that nice, luxurious shampoo that you get. I'm talking the L'Oreal for Kids shampoo that was specifically designed not to hurt your eyes. But for some reason, when you got it in your eyes, it felt like your iris was about to burst into song. Yeah, uh, I can relate with that. I miss those L'Oreal bottles. I ab- I absolutely loved those shampoos. They were great. Yeah, do you remember those? With the funny, yeah, I do. With a funny little creature on the side yeah, yeah. of them. They had like an eye on one side. What what creature were they supposed to be? I think fish. Because water. Was it fish, was it? Yeah, because water. They were all kind oh, of yeah, aquatic themes. That would make sense, wouldn't it? Mm. <laughs> It's funny, now that you're thinking of this, other other little things from our past, so we've already instantly, we're back onto hair and products. I did say that this would be a hair and styling podcast. Yeah, it would it would be so far. We're sticking to that. Yeah, I'm still losing my absolute mind. My hair will not stay up. (laughs) I I need to cut it. I might might just go full buzz cut. I don't even care. (laughs) Please do. Please would you, do. Would you, if we were, if we were able to raise some money for the NHS, how much money would you need? Here you go. How much money would you need to raise for the NHS to shave your hair? To shave my head. How much? Come on. <sighs> yeah, to shave your head, buzz cut style. I think you would suit it as well. Really? It's that kind of positive reinforcement that's going to yeah. get you to actually do it. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, <laughs> thing is though, if it was just, if it was just for me, and I was just on my own, and nobody was seeing me, mm-hmm. I would, yeah, I would do it. And I'd be safe in the knowledge that in a month or so, where nobody really is going to see me, apart from occasionally my flatmate, <laughs> then it would be fine. Unfortunately, I decided to do this bloody corn themes project where I'm putting myself on camera and putting these mm. performances out on the internet. And I'm scared that I'm, mm. that if I get a haircut wrong, I'm going to look like an absolute tit. Yeah, or a thug. There's nothing worse thug. than looking dangerous with a violin. I don't know. I don't think I could ever look, <laughs> look like a thug. I don't have but many funny, thuggish right? so you... features. <laughs> no, no, those tattoos. Although, isn't it interesting? <laughs> that, although, isn't it interesting that unless TV and movies have lied to us, that all thuggish people actually have thuggish features? Isn't that interesting that people that look like thugs turn out to be thugs whereas the real villains of the world the millionaires and the billionaires that are that are underpaying their staff and and cutting taxes and probably destroying the planet they probably look like white collared you know suit and tie yeah they probably look like they're the real they probably look like jeff bezos (laughs) exactly yeah and you can tell that he was in lockdown long ago before he shaved his head absolutely it all comes full circle it does doesn't it (laughs) i can't see jeff bezos sitting on corn themes anytime soon no i can't um, just as well up top, you might have noticed that the silky sounds of uh, Alex are a little bit clearer, a little bit more distinct. They're clearer. Uh, they're I think also that's just down to the fact lot, that we have. They're also they're, a new yeah, they're clearer, and it's also like deeper. I'm like finally hearing what you tell me. You've made me sound really great because you always say, "Oh, you sound really good on the podcast, mate." And I think, "Oh, I don't don't ever hear it," but yeah. I've got. Just I've got some. Up. I've got some headphones on. I got a new microphone that arrived in the mail last night, just in time mm-hmm. to record this. I'm quite happy with it. I'm gonna yep. be using it to record some fiddle tunes as well. So mm-hmm. yeah, nice. it's good. Excellent. Uh, I think we've got a really. I, I, again, we've said this for the last few weeks, but we've got a really packed show this uh, week. Yeah, I think so. I think we just fire straight in there. I think people people don't join to listen to us ramble on. They're here to listen to some excellent music and movie information. Oh, I mean, don't 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 sell us short, mate. I think I think we no, I think no, we no. have a charm. That's what they I think we for. have a charm. No, 
No, that's what you're listening for. All charisma is okay. gone. I'm looking at you right now. Really? <laughs> I'm looking at you right now. Yeah, the only charisma that you will ever get back is if you init- announce on this podcast you're going to shave your head for the NHS. Yeah. I mean, if we're basing and if, if we're basing looks just on what we're seeing on camera at the moment, I, I'm sorry, I definitely look better than you because I don't have a whacking great pop filter right in front of my face. Like, I can, you look like a bandit. I can only see your eyes and your little gaming headset with your gaming microphone turned up like a little antenna. This is not a gaming headset. It's not. This is actually a work headset that work gave to me when they gave me my laptop. And they, like, like it too. And I tell you what, this headset is the worst. It's a planter trunk. This is if if there was ever such a possible thing as a negative plug for 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 a product. This is negative product placement. These plantatronic head. I'm going to take them off just to read. There, they are the wor- These things are the worst headphones in the world. An hour into any meeting, I've got a splitting headache because they pierce my head like a tiny grape that it is, and they just pincer any life out of me, squeezing all my good ideas. That's why I. That's why I never bring any good ideas. To oh, amazing! Show. Yeah, cause, do you see? Do you see that this lovely padding that I've got? That I've great. got on my yeah, headphones really great, here. Yeah. yeah, I'm just. I'm just mm. comfortable. It's great. That's it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Music and Movies podcast. Each week we will both bring a movie to the show and we will discuss the music of that movie and how the music helps enforce the ideas behind it, the themes that it creates. And this week's uh, episode of the show, I think there's two very common themes. And I'm going to say them now and then I'm going to kind of recap them at the end. Nice. But I think the two themes that we're going to talk about outside of music and movies, both of the films that we're bringing this week have an element of father-son relationship yeah. and impeccable storytelling. Yeah. So that is that is the themes of the two films this week. So without further ado, I'm going to bring you 1985's Robert Zemeckis, Steven Spielberg's Back to the Future. I, I love it, uh, and Bob Gate as well. Obviously, who was another writer. Who was, okay, who let, let, let's not part. let's not forget about that guy that I've never well, heard of. We shouldn't, but you know, but no. So Bob Gate actually, he brought a lot of much like us bringing to this podcast. Bob Gate brought a lot of the charisma to Back to the Future Story, Ooh. and I'm going to get into that a little bit later on. Mm. Now, before we before we move on, I think it's I think it's very clear to say that Back to the Future is a cultural icon you, you will recognize parts of this film everywhere you go throughout life similar to that of star wars indiana jones and the marvel series yeah. the legacy that this film has left will be remembered for long after we are gone yeah I th- and i think it's one of those movies where it's impossible to tell what movies came after it that were so influenced by this one like so many movies would not exist without back to the future just in the same way that star wars did that Mm. and 
yeah, it's really, it's really, really interesting. It's definitely well, a Hollywood staple. I can give you, I can give you the fir- one of my first little quick facts of this was um, a, a direct reference was the TV show Rick and Morty was directly to take the, the characters Rick and Morty were Doc Doc Emmett Brown yeah. and Marty McFly. Well, that's it. I mean, that's pretty apparent from the first. First watching, exactly. first episode, you're like, oh, okay, that's Doc and Mark. You can find Justin Roiland, um, Justin Roiland, who who one of the creators for it, actually has put out some uh, some almost test footage of Rick and Morty, and it, they are called Marty and Doc, and All it's right. his kind of like an adult version of Marty and Doc, and so that's that is out there. You can find those. Oh, on the internet. wow, I'd be interested to see that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what I want to say as well first and foremostly, is that this is, as I've said, a huge cultural icon. The amount of facts, notes, trivia that I can give you for this is never-ending. It quite possibly is never-ending. Yeah, that's and... really interesting you opened with that, because when I was watching this movie, I was thinking, this this movie is a treasure chest of Easter eggs and callbacks and... Oh, God. And everything, like... I don't know how many times I've watched Back to the Future. It's got to be in close to... It's got to be over 50 at this point. Yeah, for me, definitely. It's got to be yeah. over 50, which is quite a lot when you mm, when you think mm. about it. But like, there were things that I hadn't noticed before, even after all these viewings. Like One of my favourite ones, and actually it kind of changed my perception of the movie for me, was, you know, the opening shot is like a panning shot of Doc's yep, workshop. His, his, his house, yeah, his workshop. Yeah. yeah, there's a photograph. It's either a photograph or a drawing of Doc hanging from the clock mm-hmm. that features that in the final oh, act, yeah. final act yeah, of the movie. Yeah, yeah, and I'd yeah. never seen that drawing before. And it made me question the rules of the time of time travel because you know every movie that features time travel has time mm. travel rules we're gonna get into it mate do not yeah. worry about those rules but that was just a, that was just an this. example yeah, yeah, that yeah. was just an example Absolutely. of like just things that are there and my absolute favorite easter egg comes later on in the movie and i must remember to say it i'll remember it okay i'll remember it <laughs> no worries right down well i mean as you said this is probably one of the first as as we call onion movies onion movies where the more times you watch it you get back to the layers the second time you watch this ultimately will be better than the first yeah. the third time fourth time 50th time even you're still watching it yeah, that's a that's now, a sick shrek reference by the way i love that exactly <laughs> but, but, yeah like like like, like ogres. Ogres. But what, what i will say what i will say is specifically for this show and this episode of our of our podcast I have limited the scope of what I'm going to be talking about specifically to the music. Now, we'll obviously be able to jump in and out of all the little things that we find throughout the film, but I've I've deliberately, because I would be here all day, we, this could have been a special on its own. Yeah. But I wanted to do this special because, uh, sorry, this episode of Back to the Future just as this one movie, and because I've got another show, uh, episode, sorry, I've got another film that I want to do for the next episode after this, which directly ties into this and a previous episode I've done. So there's kind of like a little trilogy in my head that I'm putting together. But I will also say that this film, and on back to the Onion segment, this film, I, I was thinking this as I was watching this, and I made a note of this, at no, like, there is not a minute goes by where there is some direct callback reference foreshadow. Yeah. The whole movie just foreshadows itself. Yeah. The whole movie. And that's the first point I want to make on the tight script writing. That this film, 
in terms of writing, now, yeah, there's a few, few plot holes in terms of how did Marty's parents not know him when he was an older and he was a kid. But obviously, like, he knew this kid for eight days in 1955. You're yeah. not going to remember everyone. Yeah, and so also, who cares? Well, that was one of the... That's what Robert Zemeckis has been... That's one of the biggest plot holes they've had, and he's kind of gone back to sort of say, well, that's the reason. But the storytelling of this film is just... It, it, it's a masterclass. It really is a masterclass. Yeah, yeah it is. It the, makes you wonder what the editing process at the end of it was because as you said everything was so intrinsically linked and yeah for foreshadowing for callbacks they must not have been able to trim much so there's a there's a position as a role anyone who's sort of privy to um movie music business something that i learned very recently listening to a podcast that i quite like is they was talking about um what the, the role of a script supervisor is and a script supervisor's role can be the most simple job in the world or it can be the most complex job in the world. So you take something like Back to the Future, the script supervisor, every time there's a cut, every time they stop filming for whatever reason, the script supervisor's job is to make sure that the coffee that was in the previous take, the level in the cup, if it's a glass cup or if it's a glass of juice or whatever, it's the same consistently throughout the scenes yeah. and the panning. But they are also working very closely with the editors who can make sure that all the scenes... So if there's a reference to something that's already been, that scene before wasn't directly yeah. taken out. I have a question. And Mm-hmm. Is that so? Is that person the same role as the person that very, very accurately made sure that the Starbucks cup was sitting at the same angle in that Game I of knew, Thrones yeah. episode? Because <laughs> it doesn't move, and I think they they've done they did whoever that guy was or girl did a really great job of making sure that that Starbucks cup was consistent in every single shot. Exactly, yeah. yeah. The editors, yeah, yeah, yeah. the editors have got stuff. I mean, product placement in Back to the Future alone is mental. We obviously open with the Burger King sign when you, when you kind of see yeah. Hill Valley for the yeah. first time, and there's been a lot of there's been a lot of callbacks there. Now, right. Hill Valley was a set, right? No, I need you to shut up. I've got so many points I'm going to make. Okay. Stop asking silly. Right. you know it's a set. <laughs> It's a yeah, good it's set, great. is what I was going to say. It's a good set. Right, we're done. That, that conversation's got... Was, look at all my notes. <laughs> we're going to be here all day. Okay. I'm going to talk faster now so we get all... No, I'm joking. Okay. The composer for this is the great Alan Silvestri. A fantastic, fantastic job that he did. So basically, uh, executive producer Steven Spielberg had initially some had initial reservations about hiring the composer Silvestri, having been unimpressed by his score for Romancing the Stone in 1984. During a preview screening in which the film was accompanied by a temporary track that only used parts of Silvestri's score, Spielberg commented to Robert Zemeckis that a particularly grand cue was sort of the sort of music the film needed, unaware that it was indeed one of Silvestri's cues. <laughs> That'll show so in him. Terms of, <laughs> in terms of grand music, Alan Silvestri's orchestra for the score of the film was the largest ever assembled at the time. Wow. Can you tell me how many members were in the orchestra? Of the Bats of the Future would... Orchestra? Mm. Or should I say the Out of Time Orchestra? The Out of Time Orchestra, The yes. Out of Time yeah. Orchestra. Mm-hmm. We'll get back to Out of Time. Oh, thank you very much. Uh... What's a grand orchestra? Because I was interested for, for comparison. I don't, I don't, I've got the answer here, but I don't know I what think, that means. I uh, think standard... Standard symphony orchestra is 50 to 60. Wow. Okay. So this is quite big. So 85. 85. 85. That's big. Yeah. 
there's a big orchestra and you can see i mean the sound is absolutely grand when it gets oh, to yes, amazing scenes so we we start with the famous scene with the crm 114 amp which is the amp that marty walks in at so marty's guitar is used throughout the movie so the elrwin chiquita or it's this which is the big amp sequence guitar which is that yellow guitar that we start with there uh, doc brown's amp to which marty plugs in is the faceplate to a 1960s gibson ga5t amp which is actually only around 12 to 15 watts but obviously the prop department have created this monstrosity on scene it's beautiful and i isn't love it? that i do it's so good there is it? one thing that, that triggers me though and it's probably oh. just really ocd of me he mm. turns all the dials and the gains up to 11 and mm. then he plugs the guitar in yeah and the feedback would be mental. the feedback on that open lead would mm. be crazy before he mm. put it into the guitar and it's just one of those little things where i'm like oh you did it the wrong mm. way around oh no <laughs> yeah i know what you, i know what you mean um so basically yeah it was it that was michael j fox that actually performed his own stunts when he was thrown backwards as well well i mean um and and yeah and so, and so the scene may be referenced to music videos in which loud guitars throw someone backwards, such as "We're Not Gonna Take It" by the Twisted Sisters. So it's yeah. it's a it's a very famous image. And then we have the "I'm Late for School" line, and we go straight into Huey Lewis and the News yeah. with um, "Power of Love," which is just and so iconic for that film. It that, is. It's kind of that, the that anthem, isn't it? Mm, mm. Um, and then we, we see Huey Lewis. So there's a first cameo is actually with Huey Lewis when Marty's being judged uh, by the band at the auditions at the beginning. The judge who stands up and says, it's just too darn loud. Uh, that's Huey Lewis. No way. Yeah, that's Huey Lewis. Uh, so his songs, no Power idea. of Love, and the song Back in Time are featured on the movie soundtrack. Who also wrote uh, Marty's audition song, so which is a re-orchestration version of The Power of Love, which he plays live at the audition. Wow. So it's it's quite full circle, and I think it's really great. Um, with Huey, so staying with him, he was actually asked by Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale to write a song for the film. However, when the two Bobs were not thrilled with the first song, Huey, uh, they, they were not thrilled, my mistake, they were not thrilled with the first song Huey brought back to them. After explaining that they were hoping Huey came back with The Power of Love, uh, they were then told that they needed one more song. And so upon viewing the cut of the film, Huey got the inspiration for Back in Time. Nice. So quite, so quite appropriately, The Power of Love was written not with Back to the Future in mind, but then Out of Time, which is the song played at the end credits, was, was, was directly written with the film in mind. Do you see what I yeah. mean? So, it, so it's actually, it, they use those films. They're not kind of... They're both at the same point in time in which Huey was aware of the film, which I thought was really great. Yeah. Um, there, there was a third track by Huey Lewis in the news called In the Nick of Time, and it was written for the film, but it ended up uh, not being used, but it was used in the Brewster's uh, Millions in 1985. So oh, okay. a similar film. Cool. So they managed to get the royalties out somehow. I like that. Um, but yeah, and then the next point I have in my notes is time travel movies foreshadowing. Yeah. And again, it's the point I made at the start, and I guess throw it over to you, mate, but I mean, I think not a minute goes by, or you could hold your breath, and and every time a direct foreshadow, or a direct comment, or a little line phrase to something that's going to happen later on in the movie, or something that's already happened, you, you would still be alive, you wouldn't die of suffocation, because they're just constant. Yeah, yeah, and I it's amazing, and it's amazing that the dialogue feel still feels natural and organic and real people even though every single line 
has a story and a plot purpose. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Because almost every line. Because you know, mo- you see movies with massive exposition dumps, and you mm. just get so bored by it because it's just explanation, mm. explanation, explanation, mm. and function, 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 but no style. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. But mm. and it might have something to do with the acting as well because Michael J. Fox and uh, Christopher Lloyd are great mm. in yeah. in this movie. I I especially yeah. love Christopher Lloyd. I I could just when whenever I think of Doc Brown, I just go one point twenty one gigawatts. So I've got, <laughs> I've got a fun fun fact for you there, mate. So Christopher Lloyd actually based his performance as Doc Brown on a combination of the physicist Albert Einstein and the conductor Leopold Stowas Stowa, I can't Stakowski. 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 Yeah. So that was a combination of those two. That's very interesting. Now the pronounce the pronunciation of gigawatts is actually based on the way a physicist whom Zemeckis and Gale met for research said the word. So there was a specific researcher that influenced an unnamed scientist that actually gave Zemeckis and Gale the 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 inspiration interesting for to use that that word which i think is great i and think it's so yeah iconic. and i think the inspiration man einstein that's very much the look isn't it you know it's the mm. hair the white the white mm. hair and kind of that that's exactly, definitely yeah, einstein. einstein but and then obviously einstein the dog as well and yeah. sadly albert einstein who who also passed away in 1955 55 so it's, it's, really wow yeah so everything everything i, I think that's right goodness I've, now you're stumbling stumbling over me Talk talk amongst yourselves whilst I find that fun. Well, I would, but there's nobody else here. It's just you. Okay, okay. excellent. Do you want to do you want to talk a little bit about the DeLorean reveal? What that means to you and the, and the DeLorean itself? Because I've made loads of notes, and the, and the, I guess the lead-in for this is that it's it's actually 18 minutes into the film where we first hear Alan Silvestri's score, and it is that first reveal where it yeah. comes out of the back of the truck. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, heralding the main theme but in a sort of darker Mm. kind of spaceship landing yeah but when the when the theme comes up it's is it a low brass instrument is it a trombone it is is. it's a low it's a low brass that starts and then it builds up and then you have the chimes there's threat isn't there 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 is threat there's threat but also magic magic in in Mm. the chimes as well but the the brilliant thing about, about the delorean is we are not old enough to get that joke. No. Is because w- our perspective of the DeLorean is Doc's perspective of the DeLorean because he says, if you're going to build a time machine out of a car, might as well do it in style. And because mm. we have the association of a DeLorean with Back to the Future and then, you know, it looks super yeah, cool. It is, it is it's stylish. so it's cool. cool. Yeah. And especially the Back to the Future version with the massive vents at the back, you know, those, mm. those vents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. It and ju- the flux capacitor. Exactly. It just looks so cool. And we will all, our generation will always love the DeLorean for that. But the joke, which is only really said when Marty says, Doc, do you mean to tell me that you built a time machine? Time machine. Wait, 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 wait. Out, out of, of a, a DeLorean? DeLorean? I know, I love it. I love the it. The joke is that a DeLorean is a piece of shit car. Yeah. And it was and I never found this out until I think I saw it was either an episode of Top Gear or The Grand Tour. It was one of their shows and they did something on the DeLorean and they explained it in detail as to why the DeLorean was actually mm. the stupidest car in the world and it didn't yeah. work. And yeah. 
I think that's why it was hilarious. And I wonder if in 1985, when this when this movie came out, audiences were aware of that and it came down the ramp and they saw it was a DeLorean and everyone just laughed out loud because the DeLorean was just a massive flop. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, that would have been quite nice to see, actually. Yeah. It? A, a, a laughing and a, sort of a reaction to it as opposed to that... You know, as you say, it's the cultural phenomenon that now is the DeLorean. Yeah. I mean, it, it was selected because it did look like a time machine. You know, those gullwing doors were yeah. a feature of the DeLorean. Yeah. In fact, John DeLorean himself wrote a letter to Steven Spielberg and Robert Zemeckis, uh, Robert Zemeckis after thanking him and praising him because DeLorean sales went through the roof after. I'll bet. I'll absolutely... I'll, I'll bet. I, I saw one when it was in Sydney. I remember driving past one in Sydney and just being amazed by yeah, it. Yeah, I've seen one. I've seen one in the flesh before as well. It's so cool. So believer... Believe it or not, as well, even today, you can have a flux capacitor put into your custom DeLorean from the factory in Texas. No, so wait, they're actually, still in business? Yeah, yeah, so they can still, you can custom make them. Apparently, I read this somewhere. I read this somewhere where you can have it, there, or there's somewhere that will do it for you, and you will have a custom. They must be, uh, they must be expensive. Not, I don't, not yeah, flux I pa- capacitors, the actual DeLoreans. They must be expensive to make. Hmm. Um, also, you have another really great piece of music. So that so that whole scene at the start and the Twin Pines Mall car park at the start is just fantastic. You have this amazing piece of music called 85 Twin Pines Mall, which is that marching build-up music. Do you know that one I'm talking about where they first see the the, the VW Beetle with the, yeah. the Libyan... Is it, terror, is it the terrorists? Yeah. The Lib- is it the Libyans? Who do you think? The, lights... the Libyans! Is it, is it the Libyans? Yeah, it's Libyans. Getting that wrong? It's Libyans, it's, yeah. And... and but the music at that scene is great. If you listen to it, it's the dun and it's just slowly, slowly builds, builds, yeah. and and I, and I just and it's just and then you have the the uh, the quick violins when Doc is shot, and it's that horrendous scene where you see the Doc get shot, and you're like, no, and you think Marty at that point point is just in survival mode. He's just get the hell out. It's of very it. Indiana Jones. It's very Indiana. It's Jones. very Indiana Absolutely Jones. Right. You, you get a single, you get a single moment of dramatic action, and it's accompanied by a corresponding piece of orchestration. And it's very, <laughs> it's very often exactly what you described: a very fast rising arpeggio of of strings mm. with big vibratos going ah. I was also reminded a little bit of Elmer Bernstein from The Great Escape. Yeah. That kind of, that kind of, it, particularly some of the, the fast pacedness or the kind of building tension that brought up. I, I, that's what I remind But I love that. They're just that arrival of the terrorists. The next musical fact that I have, and I've got a few more musical facts, but I'm going through this movie just specifically looking up those because we'll be here all day. Yeah, I mean, we like, will. how cool is it when, when it reaches 88 miles an hour? And it just, so in fact, that's actually one thing I was going to say, a personal quote, and I know this isn't musical and I'm completely lying to you because I'm a dirty, filthy liar. But one of my other facts that's not related to music is in my uh, graduate, so doing my graduate degree, I did formula student, which is a, uh, as an engineering student, I had the opportunity to work in a small team to design a Formula student car. And my right. task was to Oh, yeah, I remember you doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I put together this large report on my chassis, the design of it, and how it was optimized, and certain features of it, like you know, the rocket launchers and stuff like that, the flamethrower at the back. But something that I, uh, I didn't do any of those things. I wasn't allowed. Yeah. But at least it had an ejector seat. I did have an eject. Yeah, 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 I could. I was going to fight them on that one. I, my supervisor tried and I said, nah, yeah, you have to have one. Basically, I, uh, I remember seconds before I hit submit, I made one change and it was to delete 
a quote at the front because obviously you'll see on people when they put quotes at the front of their papers and I had two quotes and I can't remember who this, the first one was by and the one that stayed in was a quote that said to finish first you must first finish meaning you know we're designing a race car but we need to first build this is the first iteration of this race car we yeah. need to finish it. and I thought that was quite appropriate the second quote I had was Doc Emmett Brown when this baby reaches 88 miles an hour you're gonna see some serious shit <laughs> Nice. And I had that ready to go. And just as before I did it, I'd sent my, my paper around to all my family. And my, my, uh, my grandpa, who's also an engineer, uh, sent back a full document and said, I said, I would remove this immediately. <laughs> and I went, oh, yeah, probably right. Thanks for that. But I was, why? I was, high on, I was high on ambition, Alex. Look, <laughs> I was young. Would I was you, foolish. Would I was you, in love. No, but seriously, would you? do you think you would have lost marks for that? Well, for swearing on the front, I don't know. I don't care. Like, yeah, you're right. My life wouldn't be anywhere different, and I could and I could brag that I had put that on a on an academic paper. Ugh. But I mean, that's really it. Oh, yeah. Uh, anyway, the next musical inclusion for this is Mr. Sandman, which is just the the simple version when you see the Hill Valley straight in there in 1955, but it's not the original version of the song. You look like you're thinking. What are you going to say? It's, it's almost the definitive song of the 50s isn't it yeah as far as absolutely sound goes if you had to really sell to the audience that marty's traveled in time Mm. you're gonna instantly play that song right yeah absolutely and because if you think about it right you are right it's it's a set and how they've i was thinking about this right so hill valley in the 80s and hill valley in the 50s if you took out the cars and obviously tweaked the costumes because they kind of went ham on the 50s costumes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sweeping shot, if you took the cars out, there wouldn't be a huge amount of indication for today's audience to go, that's not the 80s, that's the 50s. Yeah. And I think as this, as we get further away from 1985 and when this movie was created, you know, generations of kids who are going to watch this movie, they're not going to know a difference. Do you know what I mean? No. So it's the music in that scene that defines it. That's the music that goes... That is from the 50s because Mr. Sandman is a timeless song associated with the 50s. Yeah, yeah. And then you combine that with the cars and the fact that in the 80s it was a little bit grimier and a bit muckier, whereas it's a little yeah, bit more yeah, polished. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I couldn't help, but, I couldn't help but, I couldn't help but think in the 80s version, especially downtown in the square, and especially when he returns back to the future at the end of the movie, it, it looks like the first Terminator movie. It looks yes, like it, does. it looks it does. like that the Ghostbusters, kind of grime. I thought, yeah, I thought the Ghostbusters, that kind of grimy sort of city. Yeah. Now the, the next bit, I said at the start, we you know we joked about Bob Gate and we forgot Bob Gate is one of the writers, and we said, who? well, it's Bob exactly, exactly. <laughs> but Bob Gate, who was one of the writers of this, he brought a lot of the inspiration to the story to this, and the, the idea that uh, he he always thought he saw a yearbook of his dad and he said, he looked at a photo of his dad when he was his age at the time. So a 20 year old Bob Gate looking at what was a 20 year old Bob Gate senior's photo and said, I wonder if I would be friends with my dad if we were at school together. Mm. And that's where the inspiration for Marty would stay close with his dad. And I I had to stop because I've watched it. As we said, we watch this movie every, all the time and we, we pick up on things, we pick on things. The thing that I took away from this was that first piece of this movie is one big foreshadow. It's one big clamshell. Do you know what I yeah. mean? It's similar. But there's also the beautiful relationship with George McFly and Marty McFly. Yeah. And there's it, it's, nothing's emphasized further than that scene where he meets him in the school canteen. And he goes, what are you doing? What are you writing? 
And he goes, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm just writing my science fiction books and science fiction novels. And Marty's never seen that creative side of his dad. Yeah. He's always seen this dad as this quite timid, you know, you know like scared man who, who, who doesn't express himself, yeah. who's quite, you know, wears a suit and, you know, he, he doesn't really speak up for himself. Yeah. And I just, I, I had to stop. I almost paused it and kind of thought about it because I thought, how lovely would that be? Just being able to go back and just hang out with your dad when he's your age and, and, and be influenced because you because when you're younger you know you can do anything you can write your, your imagination has no limits yeah you you can be creative as you want and as you get older you know life starts to i guess suppress that and you you become more realistic yeah. and a little bit more dare i say pessimistic yeah probably but to cap to but to see your dad when he's just in full send mode with his creative ideas i mean that that alone would be a pleasure to watch and, and and i watched that and i went oh that would be lovely you know i'm yeah. thinking my own and i'm sure you would agree with yours like it would yeah just definitely be lovely, I imagine i think you and your dad would get on like a house on fire oh, if you definitely were the same age like you and your dad would just be best mates i can see and i'd like to think me and my dad would be as well oh, definitely yeah 100 yeah, i see that it's an interesting yeah. one it's an interesting one about marty going back and hanging out with george because obviously mm. at the end of the movie he goes back to the future and his family is completely different, right? Mm. And the movie paints it as being different for the better, but mm. they're so very, very different that do you think Marty feels like it, they're, dif they're different people? I did think this. I did think it, this. There's a bit of tragedy to... in there. There is yeah, a bit of tragedy there in there because yeah. they're better versions of his siblings and parents but they're so that's not the parents that he grew up that is it, it's not and it's not as if you know he had his frustrations in it in in his old life but he must have felt love for mm. his family and for the people mm. that they were and i'm not convinced that we spent enough time with the new present versions of the family to get the sense that they were still inherently the same people yeah, that's a really great point you made because I was I, I was thinking that at the end. I think that it, there is a kind of mixed message that it sends at the end with that ending. And yeah, that's that. I'm I'm interesting you picked up up on that too because watching it again, I I do like I, I think the ending of this is so famous and what you you don't really think of that scene where he sees his family and he sees you know, his brothers in a suit and all that. I always wear a suit to work. Yeah. Because it's instantly brought out your mind when roads we don't need roads and the thing takes off. Yeah. Do you know what? Yeah, and yeah, you yeah. forget about that. But actually it's a really great point that you, you draw from and I it's something that I, I didn't make a note of but I remember thinking at the time. The next music, sorry, I'm just going through chronologically. We have that famous skateboard sequence through Hill Valley Centre. Yeah. And the piece of music that plays is called Skateboard Chase. Now, Skateboard Chase is your classic, fast-paced Alan Silvestri, Back to the Future. Do, 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 do. It's just, that. that's it. That's your gold standard yeah. for scoring. A fast-paced, fun, family chase sequence through a town yeah, centre in the hokey, 50s. isn't it? It is. It's, it's funny. It's hokey. It's, it's just he, so great. He steals a scooter from a kid. Yeah. He steals a scooter from a kid. He turns it into a skateboard. He He's he's escaping from hoodlums in a... What what, what do you call that kind of car? Yeah, like a sort of like a like an open top... Yeah, like this um, open top, huge 50s, mm, 50s thing around the square. They end, they end car, up yeah. in manure. Yeah. Uh, there's 
there's overly long shots of his converses because converse probably there is a lot of shots of his converse actually yeah that's a good point converse probably went yeah 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 we were around in the 50s you know we'll give you some converses exactly exactly but But and then and then the music music. along that is 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 hokey and it makes you smile Yeah. yeah and and i guess just before we get into that there's one element of the back to the future music that's that's very famous and it's and it's the chimes and the diddle diddle, diddle yeah, yeah, yeah. That just, and then it goes. It's just, it, it, but it's those quickly. There's those. It's the kind of magic. You're kind of thinking, hang on a minute. And it's that's exactly what the music is doing. The music is making you go, wait a second. That 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 bit when you see the uh, the lion estate for the first time. Yeah. And it just puts those chimes just on in the background. Yeah. Any time something like that happens, it's just yeah. it's, it's magical. A, it's an audio, it's a audio and musical cue for the audience to question the visual that's on the screen. It's exactly that. That's exactly what it is. And I love it. Manipulation. Pe- Manipulation. We come back the to that a lot. Music, <laughs> yeah. The next piece of music that I want to talk about is one of the more softer, slower, but I guess just... Um, deeply meaningful piece of music for, for, for a really great sequence. And we haven't talked a huge amount of this, and that is Marty's letter for warning Doc of the future. Yeah. Where he's in that cafe and he's talking out loud, as people do in films when they're writing, yeah, which obviously. no one else seems to do. But it's Wait, do you not? <laughs> no. <laughs> I do that all the time. Dear sir or madam, I ordered an Xbox One not two hours ago. <laughs> let's move on but that amazing beautiful slow version of that piece of music just that completing and just i i mean it's one of these ones where i I just want to play it i just want to sit and listen to it but you when you put it on you go back to the future yeah that's it and it's and it's and it's just and you can hear the complexities in the orchestra those 85 different people all doing their bit to create this nostalgic sound i mean it is literally they have created nostalgia in yeah, the sound is yeah. what alan silvestri has done yeah but then a lot of that a lot of that is to do with the movie as well because as we've already discussed the the visuals and the setting and the design of the movie is based on nostalgia it's based on cultural cultural identity like in the in the 80s the beginning section of the movie in the 80s marty skateboards he mm. plays electric guitar mm. in the style of van halen yeah oh we'll get to that in the, some fun in, facts yeah in the style of van halen he wants a pickup truck like there's just all these different facets of his character that are just huge big staples of youth mm. culture in the 80s and then you get the meat and potatoes of the movie which is just a whole bunch of cultural of youth cultural pillars of the 50s so the whole mm. movie is basically just showing all these different youth culture icons Mm. and when whatever generation you are looking back on that that's nostalgia and then when you pair the soundtrack that you have with that it just makes that whole feeling ramped up to mm-hmm. 11 yeah quite quite yeah quite 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 right mate uh would you care to join me in the enchantment under the sea ballroom Ooh, 
Ooh, Ooh. Maybe a nice slow waltz. What music would you like to dance to if you weren't listening to a song that embodies the 50s um, that went by the lyrics of Mr. Sandman? What other song might you listen to that captures the 50s? Earth Angel. You're... Oh, now this song is timeless. It is just, it's such a beautiful song with Marvin Berry singing away. Is just, it's, I just love it. I've never I heard just... it outside this movie. I will hold my hands up to that. So it's by the Penguins who are, um, who are a sort of famous um, rhythm and blues band. But it's just, I, I, I love this song so much. It's in a number of films, but every of those films, it's kind of setting in a 50s background or it's kind of doing a callback to the yeah. 50s. I've got a list somewhere. But... I love this song and I love it because it's the it's the it's the perfect cut of when Marvin Berry cuts his hand yeah on the on the uh, the screwdriver or whatever they were trying to use into Jimmy the Lock yeah and uh, it goes well we need someone to play the guitar and then it just the instant cut to the next scene of him just strumming that guitar that Ibanez yeah, yeah. and I just loved it so so much it's great so yeah, so a fun fact for you there, basically. the So it's an Ibanez Black Roadster 2 of the scenes of Marty and the band performing. Um, oh, so that was him performing in the 80s. Sorry, that was him when he was performing in front of Huey Yeah, Lewis. I was going to say, Ibanez, Ibanez, is, Ibanez is very much the Eddie Van Halen kind of yeah, style 80s, guitar, yeah. guitar playing. I should have known that because my dad has an old Ibanez, which we play still. It's his guitar yeah. from, from, his, from his youth. I remember so, that axe. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, you remember it. Remember of course that I do. I've play? played it. Um, yeah, of course. But but actually, the one he plays for the Enchantment Under the Sea is a Gibson 1963 ES 345 TD. So it's not from the right time, but we'll forgive them because yeah. it looks pretty close to yeah, it. Yeah, it's, it's a classic um, shape. But I just love that start, just when he's doing the sweeping chord. Yeah. That- that 50s 50s clean clean guitar sound i love it it's it's just it's it's and they're all just doing their slow dancing and you just I, every time i see that scene it's great yeah um, unfortunately the only problem with it is it's it's heavily shat in the shadows of the next song that gets played <laughs> is it shat in the shadows callum shat it's shat in the shadows exactly <laughs> So we have the very, very famous Johnny B. Good. Yeah, and now so got... and so my favorite Easter egg of the whole movie. Mm, I've got facts coming out of my ears for this, but I'm gonna let you take it away. So yeah, the the big joke and the big Easter egg of this movie, which I think out of all of the Easter eggs and references in the movie, I think this is the one that the filmmakers really, really wanted the audience to get. The fact that yeah. Marvin Berry was chuck berry's what was it cousin cousin cousin, cousin yeah. Right, yeah because when he's on the phone and he goes yeah yeah, yeah. It, it's your it's your cousin marvin berry and he and yeah he, exactly he, he says berry so <laughs> yeah. heavily that he does. it's like okay somebody wanted us to get that joke and the name marvin berry mm. was like it was on the it's on the drum kit it's it's in a couple of other places as well. And I wonder if it would have been better to just not have it be so obvious. I see what you're saying. Yeah. The, the kind of the mystery of um, people who didn't, weren't in on the joke, didn't know it. And then years later you go back to it and you go, Holy shit. What a great inclusion. Yeah, exactly. But- could you, could you imagine just discovering that? Cause you would definitely miss it first time. 
you yeah, would definitely course. miss it first time but i yeah that that would have been great no i i see the point you're making but it's one of these things where the the the, the beauty of this movie is that if you were to sit someone down and put this in front of them who'd never seen this before they you don't need to do any extra effort you shouldn't have to do any homework it should just come to you you know there's no there's no there's no real effort have to put in by the audience you you just sit back and enjoy the ride yeah and and i think it's it was put in to enable that side of things but i do know what you mean i, I do know what you mean yeah can we talk a little bit about it so marty mc marty mcfly basically decides that he wants to show off um, a piece of music from the 60s. It was Johnny B. Good, an oldie where he comes from, yeah. as he says. Yeah. Um, but actually, believe it or not, it wasn't Michael J. Fox that was singing. It was actually Mark Campbell. So he is credited as Marty McFly, though. Uh, Mark was perhaps best known as the lead singer of a popular 1980s band, Jack Mack and the Heart Attack. So it wasn't actually Michael J. Fox that was singing, which uh. doesn't hugely surprise me. Um, ah, you for just kind of ruined it a little bit for me there, mate. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. I'm, don't worry. Well, I'll bring it. I'll maybe ruin it a little bit more for you in terms of other things that are being mimicked there. So I want you to go through his performance right now and tell me who he is mimicking. There's a series of famous musicians that he mimics in his performance on the stage. Any of them spring to mind? If I say them to you, you'll get them. Okay. Well, I watched this movie this morning, so mm. I've got. I've got is visuals of what he does mm. in my recent memory. So I'm just going to have a wee think. Do you have something you can say while I'm having a think? Because I know of course, I know you yeah, like your quizzes, course. but just, you know, give of me a course. minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no worries, no worries. So whilst you're talking about there, I've got a fun fact for the other listeners. Um, when I was in high school, and this is something that I don't admit to often, but when I was in high school, I used to play the ukulele. That's not the thing that I don't admit to often. I'll tell anyone that if I get the time. But what I don't admit too often is that I was part of a ukulele orchestra. And one day, the teacher who was assigned to that, I believe the story went that he was in some way made aware that the ITV, the TV channel, were making a television program where a student of a school who, who played an instrument would teach a sort of CB celebrity to get them to a standard where that musician, celeb that's a celebrity, could perform. And basically who had never learned. And so we found out that actually we could be interviewing for ITV for this show. And the show was never made. But what it would look like if I had been picked was I would be paired with a celebrity and I would teach them how to play the ukulele. Now, in order to try and show that I knew the instrument well, I had to send a video of me playing a certain song. Have you? Do you know what I'm talking about here, Alex? Yes, and I believe that video is still on YouTube. It is still on YouTube. <laughs> and I know how many views it's <laughs> as well because ah. <laughs> i looked i looked it up this morning i'm going to double check what, what, whilst i double check bear in mind this is a 10 year old video it's a 10 year old video what i might do in fact i might play this video this song because actually i can i can play that on the there's no there's no there's no really issues is there no there's not but really whilst, whilst, whilst i do that can you tell me who you okay uh, <laughs> so i could start to see how many views it's got how many is it Guess, guess how many people have watched this shitty video of me playing this? I would, I would go with, I would go with, I would go with a few hundred. Higher than that. Thousand. Higher than that. Ten thousand. <laughs> Higher than that. Hundred. <laughs> Not quite as high. 
72,000 people have watched this video of me playing Johnny V. Good on the ukulele. That's nutty. (laughs) How? Where was it shared? I don't know. Because that's that's had some legs. I don't know. So what I'm going to do is I'll play it at the end. Right, okay. Okay, so back to your your guitarist's quiz. I, I I could just randomly name like mm-hmm. a bunch of you know marty's era famous guitarists right yeah but yeah i i'm i'm only going to be really really confident on one of them i know who i know exactly who it is go for it jimmy page oh it wasn't who i thought you were gonna say uh jimmy page is not no Damn jimmy it. page was not directly referenced so we started with uh, on the list i have here pete townsend who kicks the speaker oh uh, yeah the, the who. When he kicks them from the who yeah, yeah absolutely when he's lying down on the on the floor when he's playing the guitar on his back, who's that? Thought you'd get this one. Is it Angus? It's famously Angus Young from uh, ACDC, yeah. Should have uh, got that. Across, hopping across the stage with one leg up. Oh, that's Angus. Yeah, it's Chuck Berry as well. Oh, yeah, Chuck no, Berry, Chuck Berry also, did it yeah. first. No, I'm exactly. sorry, Chuck Berry did it first. Yeah. Uh, and in the solo, um, which he took inspiration from Eddie Van Halen yeah, as well, yeah, yeah. And a little bit of Hendrix, a little bit of Hendrix, a little bit of Hendrix as well. Yeah. So that is Johnny V. That is Johnny V. Good. Um, a few other little points I wanted to say: the Clock Tower, that the piece of music called the Clock Tower, is probably the loudest piece of music that's scored in this. Alan Silvestri again, just relying on those eighty-five uh, strong army that he has assembled to create this masterful tense moment and, and and the tenseness of that scene cannot be understated it, it's every so time tense I watch it, every time i watch it oh, again you're like come on come on it's just one thing after another and i was thinking and i was thinking what is it that makes it so tense and i was and i and i just thought that it's because everything goes wrong at a time where you have to be surgically accurate with something accurate, like yeah, exactly they they're trying to you could never do this in real life, mm. even no. if you know, no, couldn't you? <laughs> with a no, time machine. <laughs> no, not like, not with the achievement of actually yeah, traveling saying, in yeah, time, yeah. but actually get driving a car, making it hit a cable at the exact time lightning strikes. Mm. You couldn't. You couldn't do it. I'm convinced no. you couldn't do it. I think you could luck out into it if you repeated the experiment a hundred times because you can get damn close to it because they say things like, you know, acceleration and wind resistance and yada, yada, yada. And they know exactly when the lightning's going to strike. Yeah, fair enough. But, by the way, he was late Mm. going anyway because Mm. the alarm went and the car wouldn't start. But anyway, so it would have failed. How did that work? <laughs> he can't go faster. He can't go faster than the top acceleration time, Alex, of the car. Time, no, no, he can't. It's a time machine, Alex. Yeah, but it, no, no, but it's a time Calum, machine. Calm, you know think what I'm saying. It. You just no, you just no, no, no but, think it, but think about it. It's a time machine, Alex. So it's fine. It works it out. Right. Okay. Okay. Fine. But so they're trying to <laughs> be. It's a, time, it's a time machine. It's a time machine. They're trying to be super surgical and being like, right, we have to hit the cable at this exact point. With our so time machine. first, <laughs> the cable comes out at the top, yeah, and then you go through this whole bit of Doc struggling to get it up there. Which, by the way, how did you get it up yeah. there in the first place? Have you struggled so you know so my hard? Answer, and I'm not because it's a time machine. 
because it's a time machine. And then obviously he pops it out the other end, so he's got to oh, go back want? down. I can't, I can't give you the answers for this. I don't know. No, I don't know. I I'm just saying. I'm just now. No, no. <laughs> I'm just now saying why this scene is so tense. Like I don't care. I a, I don't I mind. Fun fact? I don't mind suspending my disbelief for any of this stuff. I'm just bringing it. I'm just bringing it up because I just remember it. I, but I don't mind. This doesn't actually bother me. It seems. <laughs> You're bleeding from the eyes, Alex. I can see it on the video. <laughs> no, do you know what I do, man? Arguing with you. It's so infuriating. I don't even care about any of this, but you're making me it's care. A time it's a time machine. It's a time machine. <laughs> um, another famous cameo for we had obviously Mark Campbell playing with Mark, uh, the voice of Martin McFly singing. Who does the voice of the bell tower or the clock? I don't know. Some bell. Yeah. What's the most famous bell? I don't know the Liberty Bell. No, even even more famous, there's a, closer to us. There's a what Big Ben? That's the one. It's Big Ben. You're kidding? No, it's Big Ben that they yeah. use for the sound of the clock tower and the bell. So it's another little oh, boy, uh, yeah. another little clue for you there. Oh, I can't wait till um, I can't wait till Big Ben's got all the scaffolding taken off it again. Yeah, she's still she's still fully dressed. Yeah, she is. So uh, yeah, but Big Ben will uh, come back and all it's self isolating. Honestly, before it was cool. Yeah. It's a, it's a man it's a man clock that Ben mm. well it's called the Elizabeth Tower ah there it is <laughs> I was trying to get you to see it now, nobody just cares before we finish before we finish uh, I just wanted to draw attention to a really beautiful end scene and it's where we get the same track the Marty's Letter track back uh, which is the famous score with Doc opening the letter and reading it and putting the plates in and he looks to Doc and he said but I thought you said it would affect the time-space continuum. I thought it would do this. And Dot looks back to him and goes, yeah, it would, but I figured, what the hell? Yeah. I ju- And I, I watched it last night, and I got shivers, because I went, I never watched this movie and really thought, God, they've got a really lovely relationship. Yeah. They just, they just, they're just mates. They're just unconventional mates, but yeah. they just, they love it. They're, 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 they're partners in crime. They're equal and opposites, and they attract. They're just brilliant together. Yeah. They're what a team. Yeah. Some little fun little Easter egg parts. Two bands, uh, Busted, famously did the song Year 3000, which directly references the flux capacitor. Yeah. Another band similar to Busted was McFly, which was absolutely taken from the phrase Marty McFly. Yeah. Uh, Marty McFly is a personal hero of mine, along with another icon, Ferris Bueller. The yeah. two of them, uh, who you always say, uh, you I, I remind you of is Ferris Bueller, yeah. and I would say is it a similar for Marty McFly as well? That kind of cheeky character who just stumbles his way into things. Yeah, but there's no malicious with Marty McFly. Whereas no. There's a lot of maliciousness with Ferris, which is why I I, I identify myself more as Ferris yeah. Bueller than Marty McFly. Yeah. yeah, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna go as far as comparing with you is concerned. I'm definitely gonna say Ferris Bueller over Marty Marty McFly. <laughs> definitely that's not a a problem and we'll we'll get back to that i'm sure but there's only one thing i can left to say it's two stars for me (laughs) this that new sound you were looking for alex for corn themes (laughs) great I'm gonna I'm gonna stop this. But if you wanna find that, I'm gonna have to link it, haven't I? Voice of an voice of an angel, Callum. An 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 earth angel. Angel. Oh, I love it. Uh, how many how many thumbs we get? Oh, it's two. Quickly, come on. It's two. It's easy to it's easy to.
Fantastic. Right, and that is my report, my long report, very long report. I'm so sorry, on back to the It future. was a wonderful report, Callum. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you very much. Over to you, mate. Fantastic. So, the movie I'm bringing today is another favourite of my sister's. Well, it's a favourite of mine as well. It's How to Train Your Dragon. And I think it's probably one of my favourite animations... Instructional to videos. Come, ...to come out <laughs> in recent years. Uh, the, fir the first one especially. I can't say I'm a massive fan of the of the two sequels. Mm. They're a bit going through the motions, eh? <laughs> Is it to sell the same story? But but this time, the dragon's got a girlfriend? What? Yeah. The th like, no, the, the, the record scratch stop? <laughs> this time, the dragon's teaching him? What? How to drain yeah. your human? How to drain your human? How to drain How your to, human? How to drain your human? It's not a vampire <laughs> all movie. And, 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 exactly. It's not a vampire movie. No, it's not a vampire movie. It's a Viking movie, which Viking is fan movie. fantastic. There's really not that many Viking movies, are there? Uh, there isn't. No, there is a there is a lack of Viking movies, especially Vikings with Scottish accents, which I would absolutely imagine, I think I don't know. No, I thought they were well, Norse. it's interesting. I've always been confused about the Scottish accents because literally every A listy and B-listy Scottish actor is in this movie. No. There isn't well, hundreds. There's, Peter there's Capaldi, Billy Connolly. Uh, I was going to say David Tennant, but he does have a role. He is uh, in it. He James says one McAvoy, line. Ewan McGregor. You want to keep going, mate? <laughs> I've got them all behind me. <laughs> You've obviously never heard of hyperbole. You've obviously never heard of hyperbole. No, hyperbole, he is not a Scottish actor. He's, a, he's an English actor, hyperbole. David Tennant is in it. I know. Ashley, yeah. Ashley Jensen's in it, yeah. which is quite nice. Yes, yes, from Afterlife and uh, Derek and all these. Yeah, halfway no, through Afterlife right? at the moment. It's lovely. Um, yeah, but obviously big roles. Gerard Butler mm -hmm. as Stoic the Vast, the chief of the clan. Mm -hmm. And also Craig Ferguson right. as... Gobber. He was fantastic. I love Craig Ferguson. Obviously, we didn't get Peter Capaldi, but we got uh, the second best, which was Craig Ferguson. The two of them were yeah. in a band together, actually, believe it or not, yeah, yeah, back, yeah. In, back in the day. Um, yeah. But, but I, I did make a note of Craig Ferguson is absolutely excellent. He's great, because obviously his his day job, I mean, he's retired now, but he's not He's not an actor per se, is he? No. He's, a, he's a talk show host. He's a talk show host, that's right, yeah. So he did the, I believe he was the late show before Corden. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Corden took over his show, basically. Mm, that's right, yeah. So, um, with G another thing with Craig Ferguson as well is that he... So, there's a, there's, a, there's a movie that I'm always slightly reminded of when I watch this, and that's Brave. Because there's a very similar-esque kind of story in terms of... You've, it's an animated, it's Scottish. Craig Ferguson's in both. 
He's actually yeah. in Brave as well as this. And you kind of have the, I guess, the story from the mother's perspective, because that's a mother-daughter one, whereas How to, yeah. Drag, How to Train Your Dragon is the father-son side of it. And I think that yeah. actually there's a lot of inspiration that Brave took from How to Train Your Dragon. In, yeah, in, in terms uh, yeah of almost definitely. Sto- storytelling elements. But I'll say what I said at the start, is that the most charming part of this movie was the father-son relationship. It's lovely, isn't it? Uh-huh. It really is. And and that he just wants to make his dad proud. And his dad just and it, and it's and it's I I love I know like not to get too schmooshy or stuff, but I love that that um the 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 kind of the callback. And it is very it's very obvious in your face that it's just this. And he kind of goes, You you pointed at everything. And then at the end he goes, I want you to be more like this. And he goes, Well, you pointed at everything. And that kind of it is, is lovely, that, isn't it? it? It's just a vi- you know, just the visual. I'm accepting you. It's this is what I don't yeah, accept, yeah. and then I do accept at the end. But I, I yeah. yeah, the 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 father son elements of this. Also, the second point was storytelling, concise storytelling. We talked about that in Back to the Future. But yeah. This it's it's the simple premise of this story. It doesn't need you don't need a full history. You don't need where are they in the world? They're not in a real place. You just know no. all you see from the the world building elements is just this one map. They're over the dragons over there. We're over here on this island. Yeah. For as long as we know we've been terrorized by dragons. Like that's the background. That's the story. Yeah, yeah. And it's just a really simple story. It's done so effectively. Yeah. No, it really really is. And it goes a long way along that road to say that the fact that they're Scottish doesn't matter, does it? Because obviously Vikings are Nordic, hmm. aren't they? Well, they're not all Scottish as well, we must say. Of course, we're no, just picking up yeah, the Scottish but, ones. Yeah, but they're Scottish and American, exactly. and none of them are crucially Nordic. Exactly, yeah. Do you exactly. know what I'm saying? No, I do. Really and yeah. and I, was, I was... I had a bit of a cynical thought as to why that was. And I thought that maybe it was because... You know, we have a bit of a shared ancient history mm. britain and like the nordic countries mm. i.e the vikings because they you know pillaged yeah and there's, an, there's and another word that always goes with pillage isn't there yeah <laughs> and i didn't say it and i and i didn't say it and i stopped myself saying it <laughs> a bit of pillage and raping isn't it it's just a bit of pillage and raping you can't have one yeah. without the other isn't it it's no, like yeah, salt yeah, yeah. and pepper fish and Absolutely. chips pillage Somebody... and rape who did you rip that joke off? Somebody somebody made that joke. Is that a joke, is it? Yeah, somebody made that. Somebody oh, did, did that okay. in a joke. But Oh no, I, I do know I, what you're referencing. There is a comedian, but I don't think they make that joke. I think they make it it's the joke is the joke actually for that phrase is pillage. Pillage is nice and friendly. Rape. Oh goodness. I took a yeah. turn. You know, you 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 you, you when you're uh, I, I'm gonna stop there because I'm gonna just get into yeah, hot yeah, water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're gonna go <laughs> go off on a tangent that none of us want to come down with you. But no, but what do you think? What, what, why do you think the the general setting of this is Scottish? Like the people are Scottish and Scottish and American. It's weird, isn't it? I think it's the comedy factor, to be honest, mate. I think it's the comedy of it. And actually, I think there's, I mean, look, I'm speaking, speaking from myself here and from you, and we talked of charisma at the start, but I think the Scottish accent is a very inviting accent. And if you do it in such a way and talk in such a elaborate and meaningful manner, it can be quite charming and charismatic with its yeah. many big peaks and the low drops and yes. that's what the scottish accent i don't know if i can know however <laughs> no no no. but i'd like to counter it if i may 
Because obviously the central cast of like the kids, they're all American. Yes, right. You've got you've got Jonah Hill, yeah. you've got Jay Baruchel, yeah. uh, America Ferrera. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So they're all American, fine. Christopher Keep that, whatever. Pleasance. But yes, absolutely, that fine young actor. But what if all the adult characters, instead of them being Scottish, what if it was Viggo Mortensen mm. and the Mickelson brothers, mm. you know, Mads Mickelson and Lars Mickelson, mm. mm. and Stellan Starsgard, mm. uh, J- J- uh, Jamie Lannister, what's his name? Um, Nikolai Coster Walden. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Yeah, we have A list Hollywood Nordic actors. Yeah. Why wasn't it Nordic? Yeah, I know. I know what you're saying. Yeah, that would have been. It's, that would have been. I nice. don't mind. Yeah. I don't mind. It's it's a Scottish accent, and, yeah, I and you're feeling very overly I love, represented in it as well. It's yeah, crazy. I love. Uh, I and and because of the accent and all that, I feel quite emotionally attached to it. Is yes. that weird to say? No, that's that, that that's absolutely fine. But we but we can't shy away from the fact that all the adults are Scottish and all the kids are American. I think that we're missing some. I bet there was a cultural phenomenon at some point where MTV was introduced to the island moments before all the kids were born and then they were bro- they grew up with MTV whilst the adults grew up with no such finities and so yeah. they all have their rugged rough Scottish accents for their fat physiques and then we have the kind of slightly more slender young Americans yeah or or and hear me out here we've actually accidentally stumbled on the reason why whenever you go go to America and you talk to American they actually tell you that they're either Irish or Scottish it's not because they're full of shit it's actually well, just it. because that's exactly it. Yeah. It's actually because they are what they say they and are, and it's of, just they've sp- just had the accent. Sp- speak, speaking of that, right? When when you, go, you that that's another unbelievable factor of it. They don't draw any attention to it. They don't, you know, like I'm forever having the my accent ripped, piss taken out of it because I'm in America and I'll be something like that. They'll be like, "Hey, why don't you say purple burglar alarm?" And I'm like, "Oh, oh my days, purple burglar alarm." And I'll do oh, it. Man. I'll do it. Yeah, I do it as I'll well. I'll do it. Do you know why? Because I'm a monkey. I'll perform. Yeah, we're attention yeah. seekers. We exactly. both are. We always have been. <laughs> well, uh, why don't you get me to see it again? <laughs> exactly. Get me to see Space Ghetto and Spice World. Do that one. Have you heard that one? <laughs> yeah, Spice Girl. Yeah. Which one did I say? Oh, who knows? Wait, what is it? Is it if you say Space Ghetto in an American accent, it sounds like you're a Glaswegian saying Spice Girl? Yeah, something like you that. You Space Ghetto? Yeah, That's kind of. I, I don't think you did it as well. I, I've heard it ghetto? done better. Space I've heard ghetto. it done better. Anyway. Yeah. Right. Shall we get on to the music of this thing? Yeah, let's do that. So it's composed by John Powell, who is quickly becoming a real like hero of mine. Mm. A real... One of my favourite composers in the world of Hollywood. Uh, one of the most recent scores he did was for Solo, a Star Wars story. Mm-hmm. And you and I have different opinions on Solo, a Star Wars story. Well, we've got but different one... opinions of the film, but we like the soundtrack. Well, yeah, I know, but I, that's, what, that's what I was going to say. One thing I think we can agree on is John Powell did a really amazing thing with that particular score in that he managed to make it sound like Star Wars, 100%, but not like John Williams. Mm. And I think that is incredible. In the same way that actually I would claim that Alden Ehrenreich managed to be Han Solo without being Harrison Ford, but other people have, uh, will disagree with me on that one. But I think John Powell did a great job in that, and 
he has a style. I, I, I talked for a little bit about Solo because there's a lot of similarities between that soundtrack and the How to Train Your Dragon soundtrack, namely to do with the theme of flying. There's a great track in the Solo A Star Wars Story soundtrack called Flying with Chewie, which is a lovely, lovely track. And it has a lot of the same kind of instrumentations and mood as a track in How to Train Your Dragon, for for example, Forbidden Friendship or Test Drive. Those are two of the some of the Test better Drive. tracks. Test Drive I made a note of. That that scene where uh, they basically they fly together and they're trying it all out. That 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 is an epic piece of music. That is, you know, when he's got the he's got the different the list and he's got the different yeah. uh, positions his cheat, that he can yeah. his cheat sheet. That is, I love the music in that sequence. I thought it was absolutely amazing. I thought it was really yeah, it's, great. And it's it's some of the grandest scoring in the movie because you've got this boy and he's he's fully realized his flying partnership with this dragon, which is something that's never happened before and suddenly you know it's been growing throughout the movie but he now has this new world outlook and the new world outlook is more to do with his cultural attitudes because he does start by saying i want to kill dragons i want to kill dragons but that very very quickly changes he realizes it was never truly him and he gets this great bond with toothless mm. the night fury dragon and the partnership is solidified in this scene and you get this these massive vistas and these amazing shots of cliffs and oceans and clouds and sky mm. and sunsets and all this amazing amazing the loop the loop, scenery. I love. the loop the loop is, is really nice bit where you can the camera follows him around as he's doing the loop the loop on the back. oh that um that's in the romantic flight section when oh. he takes Ash, astrid for a for a flight oh oh right okay but you're yes, right. Yes, it's so an, no, it's, a, it's a stunning shot because I put because uh, I, I put Astrid and the toothless above the clouds and, and then the, the lovely music with the northern lights as well. So yeah, you're yeah. right. Yeah, sorry, that's a different. Yeah, one. yeah, no, absolutely stunning. And yeah, and to accompany all these grand visuals, you get the biggest scoring you can. It doesn't really get much bigger than that until you get the you know the the boss battle mm. with the biggest with the big big Bertha dragon yeah. as I like I like to call her. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, huge and. Uh, but yeah, Test Drive is a real favorite track of mine. The other favorite, one of my other favorite tracks is Forbidden Friendship. Forbidden Friendship is a really good track and it it forms the backbone of my recent Quarren Themes arrangement, which I'll be, which we'll be making an episode for later in the week. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that. But Forbidden Friendship, I absolutely love because... It's essentially a friendship montage sequence, isn't it? Do you know the scene I'm talking about? Yeah, I, I, so that's is that where he's designing the he's designing the the tail um, the tail uh, wing or the aileron for his for the for his the dragon's tail. Well, it's before that. It's when he's there's this great sequence where he's interacting with Toothless in the ditch. You know before. Before the tail happens. Sorry, I wasn't paying attention. I was just having a gin and tonic brought to me. <laughs> I saw that and I am so unbelievably jealous. <laughs> it's got a bloody bit of grapefruit in it and it smells absolutely marvellous. That's 
sublime. <laughs> anyway, and I, re- I really want. Anyway, one. you were talking some shit about a tail or something. Like it was before the tail. So before before he designs the tail, you get this I'm lovely. Just, I was listening. I was listening. <laughs> yeah, but still listening. Amazing. Before the tail gets designed, you get this lovely sequence, montage sequence of Hiccup learning the true nature about dragons. You know, mm. things like tickle spots. Oh, that, yes, I do know that. I, I yeah. love that montage. That yeah. wasn't it. And the grass. What, yeah, yeah, yeah. That You know, the grass is like a little drug to them. It just makes them so happy. And they don't like smoked eels. And all these things. And it's interspersed with scenes of him in dragon training learning how to kill dragons and he actually just use and but at the same time as learning that he's actually learning by himself how to communicate and how to learn actually about dragons their true nature and the music that accompanies this really aids yeah, oh, kind I completely of idea. agree. Yeah. Really aids that idea because it starts with a really rhythmic kind of plinky plonky kind of yeah, yeah, sound. Yeah. On a on a pitter patter. Yeah, that's a really good one. Pitter patter. Plinky plonky. We'll go plinky plonky, yeah. But I I really like pitter patter actually. But that's on like a xylophone and some pizzicato strings, and it's just like really mm. and then it extends over the over the minutes and the more that their friendship solidifies, the larger the orchestration gets. Mm. Until the scene where, you know, where, where Toothless grabs a branch and he, like, draws a pattern in the ground. Yeah, I thought it was funny, yeah. And then he, yeah, does, it's he quite, has to step over it. and step, He, he step steps in. over it, and then that is almost the moment where Toothless completely trusts him, and he completely trusts Toothless, and that's when their friendship is formed and that's the climax of the whole track that mm. that the whole track is a ascending graph as it were mm. it doesn't mm. it doesn't ebb and flow it just starts small and ends big with no variance in between and i really like how that's structured mm-hmm. yeah no i completely agree i completely agree yeah. it's it's it is it's be- it is beautiful yeah a couple of um plot holes though i have for the story for this we were talking of that montage, and we were talking about the dragon training. And every so often they'll bring a new dragon out so they can train against. But it leads to the the question that, do they just have this endless supply of dragons on that island that are essentially prisoners of war? And that are being tortured and held underground and only brought out when they're being, you know, killed. And then they're put back under... What? It's horrendous when you think about it. It's horrendous. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure it's a. I'm not sure it counts as a plot hole. I think it counts as a. You're pretty terrible human beings, frankly. <laughs> they are pretty terrible human beings. And also, I just can't think for a second that 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 Hiccup is the first human to realize that they don't like smoked eels or that they do like grass. I just can't think for a second that that was the first time that happened. Ah, uh, you, you know speak I mean? as a man who have not who's not watched the sequels. Oh, I haven't oh. watched the sequels. Does it explain the sequels? Does it? I mean, you liked this movie, right? Yeah, I would. I would watch a sequel of this. Would you would watch. watch you would yeah, watch a yeah, sequel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would. Then they're all on Netflix at the moment. Okay, I'm going to go through them. Yeah, in the so sequels, I would. they directly go. Oh, we've never tried grass before this, and there's a reason for. It. And then he just says it once, and he goes, and that's why. If maybe you were watching the first movie, and you were being incredibly nitpicky, quite a talk about it. 
<laughs> yeah. And just just listening to that impression, I'm now wondering why Sean Connery wasn't on the cast list. Well, you see, what we have to do over here, Money Penny, is smack the dragon in the arse. Shend it on its way. <laughs> Come now, Mr. Bond, you enjoy riding dragons as much as I do. Yes, but when I do it, I do it for Queen and Country. I'm pretty sure we've done that in a podcast before. We did it about eighty times. Also, did we do that at eighty times in one podcast? Also, it's not it's not Sean Connery that says it. It's uh, is it not Roger Moore? Yes, it is. It is because it's, it's it's that famous Christopher Lee and Roger and uh, Roger Moore sequence. Yeah, it is. It is, but it's it's pleasure. It's, it's more fun. It's more fun to do a Sean Connery accent. Though. <laughs> Even Roger, Moore, even Roger Moore preferred doing a Sean Connery Exactly. Like, oh, hello, would you like to take a ride on my jetpack? Can we do that once more, Roger, but just drop the stupid accent? Just once more and go. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. There's another track that I really, really love in, in this movie, and it's Romantic Flight. We talked about it earlier as one of the moments where they did that, that really nice camera flip where you didn't know if up was down and all that and but... down was up and <laughs> down think, and down was up and down was up words there and i figured I yeah i know up up is down and down and down was up i've confused myself <laughs> and so now much. i'm wondering i wish i wish, wish listeners you could have seen alex's face there because he looked like he'd just been turned upside down he went at that point where you you don't know i if feel like up that is down uh, yeah <laughs> and i was also and also now my mind is cast to pirates of the caribbean 3 which is not somewhere that i i tend to i tend to like <laughs> like my head going to see green in the horizon yeah but romantic flight is a really really gorgeous it is yeah really really gorgeous track because i think it's one of the the big original pieces because i think throughout the soundtrack of how to train your dragon I think the movie is much more important than the soundtrack, and I think the soundtrack complements the movie without being a big feature piece. Yeah, I think, I think the quality of the scoring, I think, deserves a lot more. So it's like you know how we've we've talked about movies before, saying that like the soundtrack is better than the movie, and the soundtrack makes the movie better. Yes, and in all those instances. It's like the soundtrack is a character in the movie and is a big feature. Yeah. yeah. I don't think that's the case for this no. one. I think a lot of the scoring... Because I think when I asked you if you if you liked it last night, before we started recording on the podcast, you said you really liked it, but like it's, it's not the greatest soundtrack in the world. Like You well, were a bit lukewarm about it. It's not that it's not the greatest soundtrack in the world. It's that... I'll repeat what I said at the start. The beauty of How to Train Your Dragon as a film, because it's a quality film, like it's a great yeah. film, but I don't, when I think back to it, I think it's the storytelling that makes it. It's the the the, the plot, ultimately, and the, 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 the message that it gets across. Yeah. It's the funny scenes, it's the characters, it's the, it's the incredible animation, and then it's the music. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There's, there, there's, it, it does other, it triumphs in so many other things that I feel that the music is not as in the foreground. But it's, it's as I say, it's often more difficult to win the Oscar for best supporting actor or actress than the actual actor or best actress or act yeah. actor. And I think that this is a really great example where 
the score was never intended to be the main feature of this film. When it was when yeah. the when the film was created, you you know it's it's not. I think that it was one of these things where if they'd brought on someone like John Williams, for example, to to score yeah. this, someone who was known, the film would have maybe turned slightly, and there would have been maybe less dialogue. There would have been less. Uh, it would have been a longer. The sequences would have been longer, and they yeah. would have had to rely on a lot more animation techniques to you know to to create that grandiose sound yeah, that yeah. williams is so yeah. synonymous with whereas they didn't need to do that with this because the no. story was the element and the characters and i guess the comedy was the element yeah. of this that yeah the soundtrack was definitely sculpted to be complementary yes more more than a feature but i think if you listen if you listen back to the soundtrack independent of the movie i think you'd probably agree that the quality of it far surpasses its function uh, if you know what yes I mean. yes i do because it, it's you could have used generic soundtrack and yeah. they didn't there there yeah. there is i i now will not listen to this soundtrack and not disassociate it with anything i will always associate it with how to train your dragon when i listen yeah. to it and, and yeah. i can hear i could hear this piece of music and think of how to train your dragon and that's that's where it's cleverly ticked that box without your say so yeah yeah i think we we took a bit of a tangent there because i was trying to say something about romantic flight but i'm glad <laughs> we i'm glad we made that point yeah no the point i was saying was romantic flight uses solo instruments it makes it more personal mm. there's this lovely solo violin melody that's really very 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 gorgeous and it has a really really human element to it and i just i love hearing the, the style he wrote all of this music in that celtic equally nordic i think there's well, a there, it, the yeah. music is quite nordic well, it is, well it, so it's also celtic because the end credits music at the end is 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 accompanied with the snare drum right do you know this the end credits yeah the, 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 i the, didn't the notice score, the snare drum the and i also wasn't drum. aware that the snare drum was inherently celtic i would assume it is yeah i well i mean personally uh, i would always the, the kind of the marching snare drum is something that's featured in like a sort of scottish pipe band or an, a, a pipe band. but that's militaristic that's not inherently celtic yeah but i think i it, would argue no i would say it is celtic i would say it's 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 scottish scottish country uh, music is is synonymous with a snare, and I think that whilst maybe its origins were military and militaristic, I think now you can't hear it. it's like it's like a bugle horn. Ultimately, yeah. is militaristic, and it has remained quite a militaristic sound, or a, a horn, or you know, horn and brass, for for yeah. example. But you know, I I think a snare drum. I don't when I hear a snare drum, I I instantly think of like a a, a parade, and, and I feel like a bagpipe's about to start up. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know what you mean. I don't have a huge amount more to say over How to Train Your Dragon. I don't think there's much more to say. I don't think it's worth barring over the head. I, I, I'm going to give you my vote. It's actually going to be a one one thumb up here. Um, oh, right. The okay. reason it's going to be one thumb up is because there's only one reason why it is. And that is because, as we've said, it's a supporting piece of music. It doesn't bring much to an already great movie. But for the simple reason that... I don't know. Maybe it's two thumbs up. Mm. Yeah, I will. I will say just in a final closing thing, 
this score was actually nominated for an Academy Award. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't doubt that for a second. I don't doubt like, that for a second. It's, it's, uh, it's an Academy Award nominated score, like, and there are not many animations that have that. There's uh, not a huge many animations that have yeah, that. Yeah, I think you're, I think you're right. I mean, I don't have the facts in front of me, but I, I'm inclined to agree with you. But my, my issue, my issue with this is, is that. I wouldn't have thought of this as an incredible score unless you put it in front of me, because yeah. I have seen this film before, before we did this yeah. podcast, and I know the the this I don't know I think yeah, it's difficult. I think as well I, I mentioned sometimes you miss it. I didn't yeah. I I it didn't hit me first time I watched it because I'll tell you exactly when I watched this the first time was on a plane from like Kenya things. from Kenya to. Amsterdam. I think I was on that plane as well. You were on that plane. I don't think you watched this movie though. No, I know you know what I watched. Did you watch Blazing Saddles? No, we all I think we might have done, but we all watched another movie on that plane. I can't remember what that oh, was. Oh you you do. We all watched it and we were all in tears. I said it I, the, I'll give you a clue, it's the film that I'm gonna show my kids. Oh, that is a clue, but I can't remember what it is. <laughs> <laughs> That's really annoying. I've failed. Fox and the Hound. Oh yeah, Fox and the Hound. Oh, we were all watching that on that flight on the way back. I don't remember that actually. I don't know if I did watch that, but when I watched it on the on the plane in that scenario, I'll be honest, the the soundtrack kind of went over my head. I didn't know. I didn't notice it at all. Yeah, I'll be honest. It didn't. It wasn't until again I was recommended to really dive into the soundtrack by someone Hmm. that I actually listened to it and I thought, holy shit, this is great. This is really great stuff. Excellent. So you're you're two thumbs up, are you? I I uh, yeah, I'm two. Th- I'm two. I, I think up. I think I'm one purely because it just didn't grab me and it did go over my head and I had to have it brought to my attention and I just yeah. think that maybe that is a good cutoff line to define between one and two. I reckon so because we do we do give give movies we're too generally positive. Yeah, exactly. We're very complimentary and it's <laughs> it's interesting to mix things up, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. <laughs> suggest moving forward but i don't have a huge amount to bring i know you've got something you want to say as a kind of outro piece but i think we're going to knock it on the head this week it's nothing i did have something but it's not really that important yeah Um, all all i would say is to is for the listeners to watch out for the next bonus episode of quarren themes coming out this week where we will talk about how my how to train your dragon arrangement and hopefully by then I'll have decided what my next arrangement's going to be, and maybe I can say more about that then as well. But that's kind of all I have coming up. Why don't we try and find it? Uh, let's try and find a, a platform to vote. We could maybe put a platform to vote on the Facebook page, or we could maybe put a platform to vote on your on your page. I think I think as brilliant think as brilliant an idea as that is from an engagement perspective, I'm not interested in giving the general public that kind of control over what I do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to be br- brutally honest about you're, that. Because you're going to be doing Suicide Squad soundtrack for the next Corn Themes, aren't you? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Excellent. Um, do you want to say anything more before we, before we wrap up the show? Anything else? No. Yeah. No, I don't. Cool. No, I agree. Do you know what you're going to be doing next week? 
I have a few ideas. Yeah, I have a few ideas. I, I, I do few what ideas. I'm going to do next week, and I've told you what I'm going to do next week, and it's kind of kind of been based on this week's episode and a few weeks ago episode. Ah, uh, yes, drawing, okay. Drawing together a sort of sequel. You've not watched it as well, have you? No, I'm looking for. I'm looking forward I'm to watching it. I'm trying to carve out some time to yeah. really like Please give it do. a good. Goal. I did. I sat and watched it. Um, anyway, we'll get to that next week. Yeah, uh, yeah. Anyway, but what do the listeners have to do now, Alex? Got to go on to Apple Podcasts and give us a cheeky little five star rating, and if you were so inclined, a little review. Cheeky or... little five star rating or review. A cheeky, cheeky little five star rating and a little review. If you didn't want to write a review, maybe write in a little box your favorite movie score or just mm-hmm. movie in general. Movie we don't general. ask for much. Or, or what you would like to hear in corn themes, for example, if it's a suicide trailer, I'm sure Alex will be happy to do yeah. that. And if it happens to line up with exactly what I wanted to do, you might even just hear it. But... You had a lot of views. I was looking the other day. I saw that the Royal Academy shared your uh, your first corn themes. Video. Yeah, what yeah, they that? shared over, it. Over they shared it twice. Views? Yeah, it's currently on two point two now. You're a uh, hit at the time of recording. You're famous. It, no, You're gonna be a good. star, kid. It feels good. I mean, I've got people commenting on on it that are not mutual friends there's a young string quartet in canada actually where one of the members tagged one of the other members in the comment section on my original post and said we should do this in our string quartet and i did a little cheeky facebook swap and i was like facebook stock and i was like i don't know who any of these people are and then that actually made me really happy i was like oh i'm reaching reaching a bit reaching a bit further so well do you know what's making me happy it's this little gin and tonic so i'm gonna wrap this up oh you just had to remind me had to remind me had to remind me fever tonic as well love it to to carry on with the outro though you can also listen to us on spotify and mm-hmm. if you want to write in you can email us at motionspod at gmail.com that is the one wonderful well uh if there's nothing else to say i'm going to say goodbye and i will as well ta-ta mm-hmm.